Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, you may notice a slight difference in audio quality since I had to take my Macintosh to the shop, so to speak, and I'm now recording on my PC using Audacity. So the show must go on, and this week I'll be reviewing the Hellboy reboot, the latest body transformation comedy, Little, and the latest movie from Leica, Missing Link. So, let's get started. I feel like I'm at my little table for one again, folks. Uh, not in that I'm the one not enjoying a, a a movie that's being enjoyed by a lot of people, but because I'm the one who loved a movie that everyone seems to think is terrible. And I kind of feel like all the fans of Michael Bay's Transformers, like how they must feel, because personally... I loved Hellboy. Like, Hellboy is right behind How to Train Your Dragon 3 in terms of my favorite of this year so far. And you know what? It's not an objective thing. It's completely subjective. This is my own personal bias uh, sitting in here because Hellboy is just everything that I could have wanted it to be. And I, I guess some people who are fan, who are more familiar with the comics, or wanted something else, or maybe they didn't like the style or the or what what the director was going for. But personally, I got exactly what I wanted. I got I got really cool uh, effects, uh, a great mix of practical and CG. Uh, like like for instance, there's a there's a fairy who's like a giant talking boar and for the most and when the boar is moving around it's very it's all a practical guy in uh makeup and then when the when the boar talks it's all cg so it's a great mix of the two uh david harbour's greatest hellboy um the two new characters uh daimyo and alice they're they're solid um Apparently, Alice has more to do in the comics, and some people wanted her to do more here. And yeah, she kind of is. She kind of doesn't get to do a lot more until uh, towards the end. Uh, but uh, Daniel Day Kim as Daimyo is great. Um, like even Mia Jovovich isn't terrible in this like a lot of when she's doing the stuff with her husband uh paul ws anderson she kind of like phones it in she's not very great at it but here you know she's very you know she's playing the sort of seductress villainess you know femme fatale sort of thing and she even has a lot of fun with the sort of goofier nature of the of the comic stuff like when she's cut up into pieces and yet she's still alive like she, so I think she's solid in this. Um, what else? Uh, sorry, I have to pull up my notes on my iPad. Um, yeah, so I haven't read the comics as much, so I didn't have any of that sort of bias going into it, that not that foreknowledge of what, what they're basing this movie off of. I know uh, Laurent Reedus, I follow him on YouTube, and he is more familiar with the comics and he himself is a fan of one of the inspirational storylines for this movie. And there was more to it in the comic that didn't get addressed in the movie. And I can understand, I absolutely understand that in terms of adaptation. Um, but personally I dig the gore effects. Like the, the use of gore I think is great in this. Um, and it's all, you know, solid gore for the most part. It's not like, trashy gore i think it's like very you know it, it, once again it's a great mix of the practical and the cg and 
Uh, I think the fight scenes are good for the most part. You know, the, it, there is some of that hibachi style choppy editing going on. I will admit that, but the fight scenes for the most part are are very long form, and you can watch the choreography well. And uh, the climactic fight scene, especially, is is very much well choreographed and shot. The other thing that I noticed technically that I wasn't a fan of was there was a bunch of ADR punch-up dialogue. Like, that's the kind of stuff you usually see in, like, really bad kids' movies. So I will admit that, yeah, some of the editing is bad. There's a lot of ADR punch-up that they felt the need to throw in. And, yeah, I will admit, technically, it's not amazing. But... I can't help. I can't help it. You know, I loved everything about this. I loved. I, I'm a big sucker for fantasy violence. You know, like this is exactly what I was in. What I'm into. This is the kind of stuff I'm into. This is my little can. You know, this is my black licorice, so to speak. This is the thing that I go for. And you know, I'm not gonna deny that. I'm not gonna come in here and say. Oh, well, it, I guess since a lot of people, you know, since technically it's objectively, da, 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 da. like, I, and when I love a thing, I'm going to tell you I love a thing. And I lo- absolutely loved pretty much every second of Hellboy. I think the, I think the worst thing it does is try to, try to tease for sequels that are very, very likely never going to happen. Like, that's a thing you do when you're certain you're gonna get a sequel. Like Marvel does it when they, when they like Marvel did the the tease at the end of Avengers as like an Easter egg at the end of Iron Man for the Avengers as an Easter egg as a cute little Easter egg. And then as the movies progressed, they were guaranteed successes. So now it became standard for afterwards. And Hellboy, there is no real guarantee. So they what they really need to do is just worry about getting the one movie out, and then, once it's successful, you can start teasing for sequels down the line. But, yeah, um... Yeah, that, I think that's its worst sin, so to speak, is that y- you don't tease for stuff if you're not guaranteed success. Like, that's the whole problem with, um... With uh, a lot of these sorts of... Like, a lot of the rip-off movies during, during the time when studios were trying to copycat uh harry potter and uh and lord of the rings and uh hunger games and all those uh aragon did this uh golden compass did this um you know so many of those sort of trying to be the popular thing movies would tease for sequels that were very clearly never going to... I mean, there's plenty of bad movies that through the ages that have teased for sequels that never have... Like, He-Man and the Master of the Universe. Uh, the, the Master of the Universe movie teased for the return of Skeletor, and that was never going to happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, I think overall... Um, yeah, I think the other thing is that it's this movie is like super metal and awesome. Like this feel felt like something straight out of heavy metal magazine at points, and I absolutely dug that aspect to it. So I, I can't just go along and say that ah oh, yeah, and this isn't very good because you know what? I loved this. I absolutely loved Hellboy 2019, and. I'm going to sit at my little table for one and just be okay with that because, you know what, at least I got to watch Hellboy. I was a bit worried when I started seeing the trailers for this just because the premise has been done so many times and kind of to diminishing returns that I was concerned about how good this would be. And I think the weakest part of this movie is the fact that it's such a, at this point, kind of tired premise. And, uh, you know, it's... It it, it it play like the writing plays like 
a kid, like a really lazy kids movie. Like, oh, you've never seen this before, but yet the jokes are much, much more adult. So I think there's a weird dichotomy there where the humor is very mature for the most part. And the premise is very child-friendly, very kid-like. So it, it's kind of a weird mix of the two. Um, the premise, for those not familiar, is uh, it's basically the reverse big. where um, And this was apparently the brainchild of uh, Blackish uh, star Marci Martin, who's a, who herself is an executive producer on this. Uh, she wanted to do like the reverse of big, where someone got made little instead of being made big. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, it's that that part of it, that sort of reversal, hasn't been done as much uh, more more often than I mean, Shazam just did a version of big <laughs> inadvertently. The very nature of the character is very much in this, very much in the line with uh, big. <laughs> um, but here, um, yeah, just the premise is, I think, the weakest point of it all, just because it follows the exact tropes point by point, and it's completely predictable. Like, you know exactly how things are going to play out once you once once a thing is introduced and i think that's kind of the weak point of it all is that it's it's storytelling is very very basic but what keeps this movie from being completely forgettable is the humor which uh marseille martin it has great comedic timing she is solid in this movie uh Issa Rae is um plays the assistant who kind of learns to come into her own as a sort of more man and become more, um, what's the term? Uh, become more, um, why well, can't I remember the term for it? Uh, she becomes more assertive and, uh, yeah, she, she's solid in this when she, you know, uh, Regina Hall for the short period she's in this, she's great. Uh, it's just a matter of when it's not adhering to the tropes of this genre, it's fine. When it, when it has to go, cause, cause then sometimes there are point, there are plenty of points in this where it goes full stop trying, making sure that we got all the beats of this, of this story, uh, point by point. And when it does that, it definitely slows down to a halt. So, I think this is te this is kind of my unpopped kernel of the week by default, just because this is the one I enjoyed the least. And I mentioned that last week that I don't mean that for that to be a uh, disparaging remark. I don't mean to say that this is the worst thing I saw all week, but it's the one that I didn't get into the most. And it's still you know it's still an average movie in my eyes. It's still a solid three out of five, but. Personally, this is the one that I just, you know, it was okay. You know, in a movie, in a weekend where I saw two, uh, a movie that I loved, uh, a movie that was good, a movie that was re uh, re pretty good, and a movie that was okay, the okay one is the lowest rung on, on the to uh, lowest rung on the ladder, you know? I keep wanting to say totem pole for some reason. I don't know why, because totem poles don't have rungs. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it when it's the lowest rung on the ladder. Again, and that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's the it's the lowest of the ones I've seen. Um, I'm sure if I had, actually had the chance to see Unplanned, like I wanted to uh, this weekend, but time constraints and whatnot, uh, <laughs> I, I that would have been my unpopped kernel of the week because I hear nothing but terrible things about that. Uh, but little is fine. Um, yeah, the, I think. Yeah, the, the saving grace is the humor in this. Uh, you know, the joke writing is solid. It's just the storytelling is the real anchor weighing this movie down. I also think that uh, this movie greatly exagger over-exaggerates how app development works. I feel like... Um, 
I feel like web developers and app developers and people in that sort of line of work are becoming this generation's architect, where during the 60s, 70s, 80s, that, her, that later half of the 20th century, architect was the go-to uh, career path for just 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 brushing over how they somebody can afford an upper middle class lifestyle and this is web developers and uh, app, and app development software development that seems to be coming the new architect where oh uh, this how do we explain how they can afford basic living without going too in, into too much detail and that's now becoming uh the new you know whereas everyone used to explain like oh they're an architect oh they're not like how many rom-coms do you know where the dude was an architect you know so i think uh software developing is becoming that new architect where it's the go-to job for hollywood to brush over how can how they can afford upper middle class living and uh oof yeah cuz it does i i'm it, it i think it shows that they the writers really don't have any real understanding of app development uh unless it is and if it is like this then mm, it does not look fun it does it just looks really dull and uh but i'm guess i would much rather assume that this was their the filmmakers not understanding how app development works instead of this being app development because i highly doubt that this was accurate to how it is because this is hollywood app development not genuine app development uh so yeah this but once again i i nitpick and i point out the issues but for the most part i i had good laughs uh it the you know the main characters made it enjoyable and yeah so you're not gonna miss any you know you're not going to miss anything by not seeing it but at the same time if you go out to see it i i don't think you'll hate you know i don't think you'll hate it i don't think you'll have i don't think you'll you'll you know you won't have any enjoyment i think you'll get some enjoyment out of it but i don't i'm you just don't you, you don't need to go out and see this that's all i'm saying I was kind of expecting this to be one of the lesser Leica movies. And I would—I mean, I will say that even a lesser Leica is still better than most movies. But yeah, I think, I think uh, the biggest thing with this is coming right on the heels of Kubo and the Two Strings, which is one of their best movies. You have a sort of movie that's not trying too hard. It's just having its little adventure. And I think that's what you need to go in knowing is that this isn't going to be the best kids movie you've ever seen or anything like that but what you're seeing is a solid little adventure buddy comedy and that's base that's basically what's going on uh the premise here is um hugh jackman plays a uh, you know a stalwart english adventurer who wants to do everything he can to be accepted by the, his fellow adventurers in england and his thing is he goes after cryptids. So he, he we open with the Loch Ness monster, and he, then he goes after Sasquatch and Yeti. And so his big deal is that he wants to find the things that everyone has given up believing in, and uh, he and so uh, after failing to get to get uh, proof of Nessie's existence, uh, he he receives a letter. Uh, telling him about information on the Sasquatch. And he goes and he finds it's actually Sasquatch. And played by Zach Galifianakis, uh, the Sasquatch, um, who, we la who later is given the name Susan, <laughs> is uh, just a, just admi so admires um, Hugh Jackman's character, thinking he's just the greatest adventurer that ever was, and uh, wants him to take wants Hugh Jackman to take him to uh, the Himalayas to find the Yeti. 
because though because he's the last of his kind in America, but he's heard tales of the Yeti in the Himalayas, and he wants to find his kin. <clears throat> and so you have this you have this round the world adventure story that also brings in a former love interest played by Zoe Saldana, um, who uh, agrees to help since she's had the map that her late husband drew, drew that that led that led uh, that led people to the yeti so she brings the map and the three of them go off on an adventure to try and find the yeti meanwhile the adventurers in uh england uh, are so sick of Hugh Jackman that they want to try and take him out of the picture permanently so they hire a um you know they hire a uh, uh, what, what's a good, what's the term for it? A mercenary. They hire a mercenary played by Timothy Oliphant, uh, to hunt him down. And it turns out this mercenary is also after Sask has been after Sasquatch forever. And so, and so, uh, the, the English people are just so, they, they, they're so set in their ways. They do not want anything that would upset the status quo. And Hugh Jackman and the existence of the Sasquatch up very much upset that status quo. So they're hot on the trail of uh, Hugh Jackman and the Sasquatch to bring them to bring to bring an end to them. And what this movie is mainly about is realizing not that you don't need to try and please people who don't respect you and don't like you in order to belong. Uh, that's sort of the overarching theme is that Hugh Jackman and the Sasquatch both have to realize that they don't need to please the people that are, that they think that they think for the uh, in the group that they think they should belong in. They should just be happy with the people that do respect them and do care about them. And it's sort of like that you know recognizing not to behold it's kind of like that one episode of spongebob um where he is so beholden to trying to please that that sea cucumber uh who is who's that's who is such a celebrity in his eyes that he just wants to do everything in his power that he can to please this to please the sea cucumber and then by the end realizing that the cute that he doesn't matter he really doesn't matter, uh, and that he sh he was just devoting all of this time and energy into pleasing somebody who was never going to like him. And uh, that's kind of the premise here: is that you shouldn't. You, the main theme is that you shouldn't devote yourself to pleasing people who don't like you. You should you should be focusing on the people that do. And on the people that respect you and care about you. And that's kind of the main theme of this movie. And I like that. It's an interesting theme. You don't see a lot of it. And I think it's really well done. Uh, the humor is very subtle. It's very punny. It's word-based. Uh, the sort of literal nature of Susan the Sasquatch kind of not getting subtleties of uh, nuances of English that uh, Hugh Jackman has. And... Uh, you know that sort of odd couple nature of it all, and it it it's sweet. And it's, I think Hugh Jackman and Zach Galifianakis play well off of each other. Uh, Zoe Saldana is solid. Um, she plays a Hispanic character, uh, um, and I know that uh, she's. I think she's Dominican. I want to say Dominican. Let me see. Um, but I know there she has some sort of either Latinx or Hispanic. Uh, background, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, uh, her father's Dominican and her mother's Puerto Rican. So yeah, she's, uh, kind of Caribbean, uh, so Latin X, um, uh, and... She and so she plays. Um, I want to say Mexican because they're based out of uh, San San Jose, uh, but you know, the, uh, Hispanic sort of southwestern America area. So 
my my guess would be uh, Mexican, but I, I you know they never specifically say. They just have her uh, with a Spanish sort of uh, Spanish accent and uh, speaking in Spanish from time to time. Um, but yeah, Zoe Saldana is solid. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is great as the villain. So what I would say is um, if you get the chance, that I mean it's, it's Leica, so. It's good. Plus, the animation is still, like, absolutely beautiful. I think the worst part is their fight scenes are super slow because they have to pace everything out. So you don't get a visceral, fast-paced fight scene. Uh, Like, there's a scene in the trailer that shows a bar fight, and that's so slow and planned out that it's... It did. It, it was kind of awkward to watch, but overall, like the animation is excellent. Once again, so um, yeah, if you get the chance, check it out. Um, but you know, it's not like something you need to rush out to see, like Kubo was or uh, Paranorman even. But yeah, I'm just glad, even though Leica is not um, uh, a wildly successful studio like Illumination became, I'm glad they continue to make work. I'm glad they just continue to to keep making these solid stop motion animated movies because uh, somebody's got to, and I'm glad somebody's keeping the genre alive. And uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and instead of a discussion, I'm gonna kind of have a confession, so to speak. Uh, and I'll talk about that after this. So my initial discussion idea before everything that's happened was um, that I wanted to talk about premises that maybe we should let go of. That when should a premise be given up on and die? In term, you know, in reference to the whole body swapping. And then I've, there's also been I may save this for um, my when my spy comes out. The Dave Bautista. Uh, tough guy cares for a little kid movie, which I thought we were done with after the <laughs> pacifier and tooth fairy back in, and, and, and you know, all the, the stuff back in the mid aughts. Uh, but I think given everything that's been going on, I should be open about the state of things. Um, so given, uh, my work schedule and the lack of time I need, I am able to devote to the projects. I've decided to hold off. I mean, I announced this on Facebook as well, and I decided to just hold off on the retrospectives. Maybe I'll do them down the line for like Patreon or not Patreon. I'm kind of uh, letting Patreon go, go to seed, but if patrons uh, through Pinecast want to, um, support the show and help it out and get exclusive content that way. Uh, I'd be happy to do the retrospectives there, but all the, you know, I I had artwork commissioned and I'll share that um, by the time this episode comes out. And I was, I was already most of the way through the Pokemon movies and it just, and I, I was after discussing, um, the podcasts and the projects with my, uh, with my, um, with the people over at my network, Gumby Cat, that I realized that trying to do this publicly would be a disaster. And I just didn't have the time needed to give it its full due. So rather than record individual episodes on each movie for both Godzilla and Pokemon, I'm going to condense my thoughts individually and do a ranking a la the MCU for Pokemon and Godzilla. And I'm going to include those in the discussion for... I'm going to make those the discussion points for when Detective Pikachu and King of the Monsters comes out. Come out. Um, Just because... I don't have the time needed to fully devote 
to these projects, to watch the movies, to plan out the scripts, because I was scripting these. I was scripting my thoughts down for each episode and the time needed to record and edit and the fact that I initially planned to use the songs from songs and music from the franchises a la Now Playing and uh, the fact that the, the, you know, the issues of copyright infringement there and it just became more, it, I got in over my head. So there will be no retrospectives for now. Uh, like if, I, like I mentioned, if the, if people want to support the podcast uh, through Pinecast, I think I'm going to focus the shift of focus to Pinecast instead of Patreon. Uh, if people want to do that, then they can, ha- then I'll include retrospectives along with um the uh the pa- the patron only content like uh the munch alongs and the uh we make a better movies and uh I will premiere you know I'll see about premiering uh patreon exclusive reviews uh actually no I think I'll do- just make that part of uh Patron corner. I'll change it up to patron corner instead of Patreon corner, um, but that'll, that's gonna have to wait till I get my Mac back because that's where all the uh, bumpers and stuff are. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's just a matter of the time needed to do what what I what needed to be done for those was too much considering I also have to. At this time, get ready for the new episode of Living in the Stacks, which will have premiered the same day, hopefully, as well as taxes. Uh, my dad wants my dad's trying to help me file my own taxes so I can just take care of them myself uh, every year. And then uh, it's just, you know, when the computer crashed and everything was just kind of collapsing in. And the first thing that needed to be thrown overboard were the retrospectives. So I'll do a list for them uh, during the and rank them and give my thoughts on them uh, for Detective Pikachu and King of the Monsters. But I will hold off on the retrospectives until um, until I reach the point where I can devote more time to them. And in that case, it, I'm going to make them patron-only content. So, um, uh, in fact, um, in fact, I should look into Pinecast for a second. Hold on. Okay, uh, I took a quick break there to from the recording to find out um, about how private episodes work, which is basically Patreon style stuff that Pinecast does I've sw- since I switched over to them from Libsyn. Uh, basically, if you're a paid listener, uh, you get a private RSS feed, just like Patreon. Um, but I'd have to upgrade my account in order to do so. Um, okay. So... Let me go back to mine. How much is that going to cost me per month? 50 bucks a month. Okay. Uh, networks and collaboration, comment box, advanced analytics, webhooks. Um, oh, no, wait. That's pro features. Uh, pro users have additional options available to the podcast level found under settings tip jar and the dashboard. Sets the minimum dollar amount, automatic privatization. Yeah, so kind of like, uh, okay, so that's a pro feature, so I'd have to pay $50 a month, which once I get some stuff rolling, and I I think once I get the listenership up a bit more, um, and we're going to be working on that uh, as a network, uh, I'll I'll start looking into that and kind of let Patreon go for now, just because I think Patreon's also been suffering from a lot of issues, Uh, but... Uh, I, by, by the time this episode comes out, I'll also have set up a tip jar. So if you want to go to pine, uh, what was it? What would it be? Uh, 
pinecast.com slash popcorn dash junkie. Uh, there's, I should have a tip jar available by the time you see this. Uh, and then, um, once I have enough money extra, once I have enough extra money, uh, in order to afford it, I'll upgrade to pro on Pinecast and start doing exclusive content. I think once the listenership gets up to a certain point, um, I'll do that. So that's something to, uh, that I'll that I'll be working on uh, for the time being. But for right now, just I just need to I just need to cut back some. Uh, I need to focus on my uh, getting doing what I can in between my actual work schedule, which is the one thing that's making me money right now. And then paying off, you know, debts and making sure my bills are covered. I'm not going into overdraft all the time. So I'm going to hold off for right now and sit back and and just continue working on this. Uh, I may try setting up a jukebox theory. I've been wanting to do that too. I may try that. Uh, so hopefully uh, now that I don't have the retrospectives kind of... Uh, uh, weighing me down uh, for right now. I'll look into jukebox theory and start writing out those stuff. That one I wanting that one I want to do actual research on and include like actual uh, scholarly articles. Um, you know, uh, you know, pe- include actual research on the topic if if uh, if um, if applicable. Maybe at least just you know find other other uh, more um in-depth information on topics and then um uh, include that within you know that way i'll have like cited sources and it make it like an actual sort of like academic approach to things rather than just me talking extemporaneously out of my ass so that'll be i'm gonna work on that and fine-tune that and see if i can make that work as a show record a couple episodes see how they sound share them and then uh we'll premiere that Um, and then, yeah, just keep going with this, doing what I can and, uh, see about, uh, improving listenership and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, no bumpers this week. So we're just going to go straight into, uh, the box office report. Once I pull up box office mojo. Forgot to do that. Uh, so let's take a look at... This weekend's box office, I can't. I can't do it until later tonight. Shoot. No, no, wait. No, I got it. Uh, although these are just estimates since I'm recording on Sunday morning. But uh, as for the estimates, uh, we've got uh, no Missing Link and After uh, were unable to even uh, break the top seven. Uh, from last week, so this week, so that's another thing I never got to see was that really crappy after movie. Uh, we'll see if I have time to tr- catch that end unplanned. Maybe do a double feature of terribleness. Uh, but those those couldn't even break the top seven. Sadly, after saw had more uh, uh, had more people than Missing Link, which is which is unfortunate. I really wish people more people would ch- go and support Leica. Um, but uh, dropping out of the top seven, five feet apart, best of enemies, unplanned. No, unplanned uh, wasn't even in the top seven. But yeah, best of enemies, five feet apart, that all dropped out of the top seven. Uh, this week's box uh, top seven, uh, us dropped from four to seven, and brought in an estimated six point nine million dollars, bringing its domestic gross up to hundred sixty three million, and its worldwide gross up to two hundred thirty five point nine million. So, still riding strong. Captain Marvel dropped from five to six, and this weekend brought an estimated eight point six million dollars, bringing its domestic gross up to three hundred eighty-six point five, and its worldwide gross still over a billion. So good on you, Captain Marvel. We'll see how. I'm guessing that's going to be dwarfed in comparison by Endgame, given how much it almost crashed the uh, ticket. Pre-sellers, uh, number dropping from three to five is Dumbo, bringing in nine point one million dollars, bring uh, bringing its domestic gross up to eighty nine point nine million, and its worldwide gross up to two hundred sixty six point nine million. Uh, so it's enough to make it not a flop, but yeah, only the international markets were able to 
to save this one because the domestic markets did not even bring in half, uh, bring in like two thirds of its budget. Meanwhile, the foreign markets brought in its uh, total budget uh, within a couple of weeks. So it's not a roaring success, but eh, yeah, it is what it is. Dropping from two to four is Pet Cemetery, which brought in $10 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $41.1 million and its worldwide total up to $61 million, making it a, a, a mild success. It, it, it more than made back its money domestically and uh, it almost it made a, its budget back again uh, in, um, the, in the foreign markets. So it managed to uh, be so it's yeah, it's 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 all in the black now. And then premiering at number three is Hellboy with $12 million. And uh, with a $50 million budget, the foreign markets better better save this one if they ever want a sequel. Because this is not looking good domestically. And that's the thing. Hellboy was always a a second tier sort of B character that, n- that not a lot of people were into. You know, he came from Dark Horse. He, he was, you know, he wasn't, he was more of a, he was always a niche character, so... It's not surprising that domestic audiences aren't getting into it. Uh, number two premiering is Little with $15.4 million. Bring its dom- uh, bring- and combined with the foreign markets, had an opening weekend of $17.3 million. Uh, just under its budget. So I, uh, I don't think it'll be a flop. I think it'll have enough legs to make back its budget and have a small profit, but... It's you know it's not a roaring success either. And then staying at number one is Shazam, brought in twenty five million dollars this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to ninety four point nine million and its worldwide gross up to two hundred twenty one million. Solid entry for them. Uh, good success for DC. And if hey if they can make more good movies, I'm in. That was the box office report. And uh, now that we looked at the week that was, we take a look at the week ahead in the trailer talk. And then. Yeah, trailer talk, bumper, meh, 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 can't do it. Anyway, uh, only, there are three premieres this weekend, two of which are on Wednesday. Um, and so we're going to talk about those. So first up is the uh, is the first one premiering, the one that I'm finally ready to get out of the way, the one the one for the Easter crowd. It's the newest Christploitation movie, Breakthrough. Let's take a look. I'll give it kudos for having a main actress who is not traditionally, a, you know, she she's she's a she's a, she's a much more built woman. You know, she's not she's not like the traditional Hollywood look, and it, so like giving her the chance to be the star is nice. It's a nice. I'll give it that. I'll give it that. It's good that they didn't just make another pretty model looking woman it's a, it's someone who you you it looks like someone you would meet on this uh, in the midwest and in, in you know in your own life and poor luke cage had to do this now that his show got canceled disney plus better bring back nick luke cage that's all i'm saying Oh no! Is Scott see that's my issue. What what here's my thing. Why did God save this particular child when there are so many more millions suffering way worse than him? This Easter. Oh God, this. No, you're just nuts. Cause yeah. Oh, Topher Grace, buddy. Weren't you just in like a real movie too? Oh, it's gone viral. Oh God.
<laughs> look, I'll give it this. This doesn't look as egregious as Unplanned did. This, at least, I'll give it, is much more wholesome. I mean, I could pick it apart and, you know, any, second by second, but for... But for what it is, for what it's trying to be, for one of those inspirational movies, I'll I'll ease up. I'll ease up. I'll, I'll wait. Well, I mean, there there could very well be some some awfulness, uh, not mentioned in the trailer. But from the trailer's point of view, uh, given what they're showing us, uh, I can I'm imagining just uh, something a lot more wholesome, something really sweet, inspirational, just like the story it's based on. And, um, so yeah, I, I will not go my full on atheist, you know, rant about, oh Christian movies and how terrible, I mean, if it's a bad movie, I'll, I'll say it is, but if it's an objectively fine movie, it's, and for Christians, I won't deny that. I won't try to obfuscate that by just because i don't buy into the whole notion but there's just a lot of hints that it's not going to be amazing just, you know like a lot of the line deliveries and whatnot from the trailer the bit about it's going viral like mm, yeah this looks like it's going to be dumb so we'll see uh when it comes out um i probably won't see it uh, since it's coming out on wednesday i might have to see it like wednesday morning or something since i won't uh Actually, I might not be able to see it Wednesday morning. I think I'm... Well, we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely something I'm going to have to... You know, I'm going to give it a fair shake. Because, I mean, every movie deserves that. They shouldn't be uh, beholden to uh, anything... Like, like, just like with my love of Hellboy, this is some movie for somebody. So... I'll, I'll at least give it a shot and see how it plays out. If I don't like it, I don't like it. But if it's, if, but objectively, if it's a well-made enough movie and it's not full-on propaganda the way things like Unplanned are, then I'll at least admit to that. You know. So uh, next up, not the one on what? Oh yeah, let's go to the other one on Wednesday premiering. Because guess what? It's that time again. Uh, we've got. The uh, newest Disney Nature documentary. Disney Nature, uh, Disney deciding to do another one of their documentary specials for Earth Day. And it just so happens to coincide with Easter. Uh, so yeah, let's take a look at their new, their newest entry. Penguins! Took them long enough. Ten years, damn! That's my issue. Yeah, that's my biggest issue with uh, these Disney Nature documentaries. They try to add a narrative to them where there doesn't need to be one. That's my other thing with uh, with um, Disney nature is it's always that first week. I I get the feeling that, I mean, it's not like they even make that much money with these movies. It's I feel like everything Disney nature does should be devoted to things like the Wild, World Wildlife Fund and conservation efforts. So why is it only just the opening weekend? Like, shouldn't, like... Half proceeds go to um, the uh, go to conservation just through the run, and when like and that doesn't even include buying it on DVD or streaming. So like, what if you buy this on Amazon in video? Well, like all that money goes straight to Disney. Like, wouldn't it make more sense? Yeah, it's a surface level form of conservation support. It's I I feel like Disney of all of all companies should be the one to be like like what are they gonna lose? What they're gonna lose like. Ten, a couple thousand dollars from the people who support these nature documentaries. They should. Well, that's why they should just 
give half of all the proceeds, both. I mean, yeah, that once again, corporations are not your friend, uh, and brands are not, and brands are, <laughs> and neither are brands. Just yeah, remember last week. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Also, it took them really long to get the penguins because, like, wasn't everybody into penguins after March of the Penguins? So it took them long enough to finally get to covering penguins. Uh, anyway, uh, last one for the weekend. The latest entry into the Conjuring shared universe. Oh God. Oh God. I read that and I'm like, oh. Uh, we're talking the Curse of La Llorona. Oh, I've got talk. Oh, I've got issues. Oh, I've got I've got things to say. Let's take a look. Yeah. Hey, you know this really, really menacing and scary figure in uh, Hispanic folklore? Let's make it bland and uninteresting. Thanks, James Wan. On April 19th. She... Wants your children. Hi, Kitty. Hey, there's a kid who could have easily played uh, Dora the Explorer instead of a, 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 a woman who's already an adult by now, I think. I forget if she's 16 or 17 or what, but um, yeah, uh, making Dora like... Nothing against Isabelle Monner, because um, she's a, she's, you know, I, yeah, she, she's a solid actress in her own right. It's just Dora the Explorer? Her? And, like, that's the thing. It's like, when you see her, it looks like some teenager cosplaying as Dora or dressing in a Halloween costume. It looks so off. It looks... Yeah, I got issues on that, too. But, um... I think my biggest qualm with this, and I've mentioned this every time in trailer talk, is... Don't you chew on my wires. Don't you chew on my wires. A. Sorry, the cat is chewing on my wires she is being especially bratty today for some reason probably because i started including wet food with her dry food and now she's getting all hit all hissy about wanting to wanting exclusively wet food i'm sorry no, you got your food you got your food uh so, so, but yeah <laughs> uh this 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 movie um, I got two things. Uh, first of all, um, my own qualm, which is the big thing, which is this is, this is full on cultural appropriation. This is taking a very, I mean, I've heard of La Llorona before from, from, uh, I, I uh, from, uh, Carlos Mencia has mentioned it. And, you know, if you, li you know, if you listen to, uh, 
Hispanic comics or uh, people, you know, people who or you have friends who are Latin X, they'll probably have mentioned uh, their parents telling them stories of La Llorona. And um, and so I was familiar with La Llorona before I knew she was a folkloric figure. I knew she was a mythic sort of ghost boogeyman character. And here is Hollywood co-opting that and then mostly brushing out all of the Hispanic uh, culture that that's tied with her. So it's it's they throw in freaking Linda Cardellini, freaking Velma from the live action Scooby Doo movies into the mix. With all the with all these, why couldn't it have just been Hispanic Latinx characters dealing with La Llorona? Wouldn't that be more interesting? In fact, is is there a, I, if in fact if there is a Latin American uh, Spanish language movie about La Llorona that's a horror movie, I would absolutely. That is my microphone cord, you little brat. Don't you dare chew on that. I need that to talk to people. What is your deal? What is your problem? Are you bored? That's the keyboard wired. Stop chewing. Stop your chewing. I'm going to have to lock you out of this office. You're weird today. Um, she's distracting me from the <laughs> really terrible, uh, yeah, co-op, you know, co uh, uh, cultural appropriation that is La Llorona, Curse of La Llorona. Uh, yeah, I mean, if there's a, uh, a Spanish language, Latin American production about La Llorona. Um, I would suggest watching that instead because this looks like, this is, this feels like whitewashing. This feels like, even though the supporting cast is, and the kids are all, uh, Hispanic, uh, they, that, uh, that the movie itself is a very, is very much a whitewashed version of the storyline. And it, it really does feel inappropriate the other thing that was brought up by um, I follow Lexi Alexander on Twitter uh, because she's amazing. She's she is absolutely a wonderful person, and I love her. I mean, I don't see a lot of her movies because sadly she hasn't been able to. She's been working in television a lot lately, so she's still working, but she hasn't had a lot of success uh, with film. Her last major movie was the Punisher Warzone movie, which didn't get a lot of success and was had, was very mixed. Uh, critically, so she never really got. She, she's kind of been working uh, under under the level, but uh, her Twitter account is amazing because she has no she has no problem calling people out on stuff, and she's very you know she's an has a Palestinian. She is very she's very vocal about um, Palestinian pal, you know issues with Palestine and the Palestinians, and uh, she's very critical of stuff in the film industry. Like uh, last night, um, uh, Saturday night, as you're listening to this, uh, uh, the, well, the Saturday the 13th, as you're listening to this, uh, of April 2019, <laughs> to further timestamp it, um, she was sharing a story from the New York Times about the the harassment that female grips in Hollywood will face, like being slapped on the ass as a grip. You know, just as work, just work, work, you know, working in, on the technical side of film, you get slapped on the ass. And so she's like, her, her thing was, I'm going to, you know, she's going to start a class where you teach, where she teaches women how to beat somebody upside the face, uh, you know, break somebody's face with a C grip. And I loved it because that's exactly the kind of uh, person uh, Lexi is. She, uh, she has no, she's, a, <laughs> she's, has no she has no filter when it comes to crap like that. She has no BS filter. She she will not take your BS, and she will call you out. And um, when it came to, I noticed um, one of her tweets was in reference to horror and how bland and washed out everything looks cinematography in terms of cinematography. And she mentioned this and the new Pet Cemetery, and I agree with her that the new Pet Cemetery definitely has that same. What a washed out coloring problem that so many horror movies have, where everything's like has a blue filter on them, and it lo just looks bland and sort of uh, like almost gray. 
And she mentioned this, and that's exactly what it is. James Wan has, in his success, people have tried to mimic him visually. Not in terms of, like, the scares or the effects or the story, but visually they're trying to copycat him. And the whole Saw thing of, like, the washed-out gray-blue coloring that has kind of become the norm in horror nowadays and i think that and she is absolutely right you know i love the new pet cemetery in terms of a story in terms of a movie but in terms of cinematography it is absolutely piggybacking off of the whole james wan conjuring style washed out gray blue color scheme it is such a bland looking you consider horror movies that used to be almost like giallo was like neon and there was so much diversity in terms of uh color and mise-en-scene in in horror uh for the longest time and then after the success of uh specifically the conjuring and insidious horror has become so bland looking and that is kind of, and she is absolutely right to call that out. And I feel like considering how visually driven horror directors and writers are, filmmakers, why aren't more horror movies like trying? I think that's the other thing is that Hollywood has decided this is what horror looks like. And that's, and then once again, it's business executives making creative decisions when they have, when they, when that's not what their strong suit is. Uh, so yeah, um, not looking forward to this. I'll see if my nephew wants to do it. We can do Bad Movie Squad if he wants to, but, uh, yeah, it, this, The Curse of La Llorona, I knew was going to be awkward and off-putting, and, uh, that's, yeah, and then uh, on top of that, it looks bland. So you take, you've taken this thing from, uh, Latinx folklore Something that has visceral meaning to so many, uh, you know, millions of people across Latin America. And you've made it into a, just a blank, like, this is like what Slender did, but for an actual piece of folklore. Slender took, Slender did for Creepypasta what, what Curse of La Llorona looks to be doing for, for Hispanic folklore and Latinx folklore. And... Yeah, this is why Hollywood shouldn't be allowed to do anything. Because it can't be trusted. So yeah, that about does it for this week. Which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GummyCatNetworks.com. We're going through some ch- a couple of changes as we've... Uh, you may as you if as long term listeners may have noticed, uh, just because of um, shifting management and we're trying to revamp uh, the the network. And, uh, and part of that is recruiting new podcasters. So if you yourself are a podcaster and would like to join our lovely, lovely little network and help us grow and expand, then, uh, you can send your, uh, information to popcorn, uh, not that's to me, uh, gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com. Uh, and I'll make sure that, um, I don't know if they should, everyone should have, I'll double check with, uh, everyone else, but I'm like, I sure everyone should have access to the Gmail account, um, to, so it's not just me uh, going through everything, but yeah, if if you uh, if you want to join us, uh, send us your stuff, uh, and uh, we'll see if we, we'll see about adding you to the network. Um, otherwise, you can also check out uh, the right now. The stuff going on is um, Donna's stuff at Snarcast, so family business. Once more with feeling beyond the cabin in the woods. Um, Vanessa is kind of taking a step back, I think, but all of her stuff from Odd Vegas and Odd Nevada are the, uh, should still be on there. Um, they're still the old Tragic Missile episodes, and um, I'm hoping to finally bring that to a close and give it back to give the reins back to Jim and let him have have fun at, with it. Uh, just because it, it it was his brainchild, I, I shouldn't be holding on to it just because of procrastination. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then, like I said, if you want to join the network yourself and help us out and help us grow, then you're more then you're more than welcome to to send all your solicitations to gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com. And, or is it gumbycatnetwork? I think it's gumbycatnetwork 
at gmail.com. Singular, not plural. Uh, Otherwise, if you're listening to us on the go, uh, you can follow us at... uh, you know, on your various social, not the social media stuff, but uh, the various podcasting outlets. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Um, and then if you want, and then by the time this comes out, uh, you can also head over to pinecast.com slash popcorn dash junkie. And there should be a tip jar there as well. So if you want to help out this podcast in particular, you can do so there. We should set up a PayPal. We should set up a PayPal for the network so that people can donate like they do the max fund. Um, that's all stuff that we need to work on. Uh, that's, that's inside baseball, uh, for the, for us at the network. But, um, yeah, if you want to, you know, so if you want to help this show out that way, you can leave a five-star rating and review and let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. Uh, you can also, uh, share us on your various social media outlets. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcorn junkie, Twitter at corn junkie pod, not so much on Instagram anymore, uh, but I'm, but the account is still there, Popcorn Junkie Podcast. And then Popcorn Junkie on Stardust, where I won't be doing the full reactions to a Pokemon, probably until um, Detective Pikachu comes out. I'll just do the bulk of them in one day. Uh, probably the same. I'll do the Godzilla ones in chunks as well, leading up to King of the Monsters. Um, actually, there's an idea. Instead of doing individual episodes i'll just pump out the stardust ones in the lead up to lead up to the episodes so yeah if you want to hear my initial thoughts leading up to the episode of release for detective pikachu you can do so at stardust on on stardust app at popcorn junkie and while you're there check out all the other cool people there and if you have your own thoughts on movies tv game of thrones the final season is coming out are you a fan do you want to share your thoughts with other fans you can do so on stardust so come join us on stardust we're having some fun you should too uh, and if there's anything else you want to say, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of uh, suggestions you have for the podcast, for my ideas that I mentioned in the discussion, your thoughts on uh, Hellboy and Little and Missing Link, uh, send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want me to read the message out loud on the show, you can do. You make sure you leave a leave a line in the subject or the message that gives me explicit permission to do so. Otherwise, I'll just simply paraphrase. But, you know, I'd love to hear audience feedback. That does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And we'll hopefully get back to my usual setup because Audacity is, like, trying to speak Mandarin. (laughs) Using Audacity is like trying to speak Mandarin for me. I'm such a little garage boy, uh, fanboy. And it's become so much of my... Anyway, yeah, let's end this nonsense. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. 